Hey, and welcome to another episode of Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni, and as always, joining me into the studio today are Scott and Mitch. Hey, hey. Yeah, I was born live. Born live, ready to go. We've got James as well (laughs) making the video work. And also joining us live today, we are joined over Skype via the magic of internet technology by the founder of Giant Margarita, Ian Lewis, and developer Adam Zulkulfli. Ian and Adam are here to talk about their game, Party Golf. Hi. Hello. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Uh, very uh, very good to have you joining us. Always good. Always a pleasure. <laughs> we love making new Super friends. Super excited to be here. <laughs> All right, yeah, we'll also be talking about the online grey market game key sales. There's some shady business going on down in that neck of the woods. And lastly, we'll take a look at how getting yourself out of game media circles can enhance your enjoyment of the game when you finally get your hands on it. And that's what's coming up today on episode 36 of Pixel Sift. Let's jump into it. Pixel Sift! It's not Pixel Sift, it's Pixel Sift. Pixel Sift! So yeah, with services like Humble Bundle making it easier to obtain PC games, like more gamers are finding themselves with, you know, PC keys for days. And um, yeah, they don't really know what to do with them. So thankfully, there's a service known as G2A, a sort of eBay for game keys. This is allowing people to sell their game keys surplus, but there might be some funny business going on in the background as well. So the whole thing about eBay with, uh, you know, the way that it works mm-hmm. is that it uh, is a system that basically facilitates the transfer of money of effectively, yep. right? That's what it does. And G2A has a very similar system. And then they have um, people who have maybe purchased bundles and have picked up extra keys that they don't need anymore uh, or have already have got duplicates of and they can't redeem more than one of them to their Steam account can then go and sell their accounts, uh, sell yes. their keys on to other people. It- so this is kind of touching on the transfer of license almost. It is. It's yeah. an interesting sort of situation where we, you know, previously have got these license agreements where something through like Steam, for example, where people will um, purchase a license in perpetuity, but there's no way to trade it. Now they've got sort of slightly different yeah. ways, and this is sort of an evolution of the way that this this bundle model has kind of started to work. In that you have kind of pushed the, the cost down and made things more affordable and more accessible for people, which is always a great thing. Um, but then you have, of course, as soon as there's any money in any particular things, there's people who come in and they try to exploit the system. Exploit the system, basically. Now. Uh, Alex, uh, who's the CEO, Alex Nichiporchik, is uh, CEO of Tiny Build, and he has just come out recently and said that G2A sort of facilitated the loss of about 450, well, I guess not the loss really, but the $450,000 worth of full retail sales of their games sold through this platform. And one of the big things about this was people are out there purchasing these ca- games using uh, you know, banks of credit cards that they purchased off the dark web. And as soon as the, the cards get cancelled and the, the chargebacks occur, the people who originally sold the original legitimate key are getting hit and people who are um, you know, purchasing these keys at the end of the, the day are also getting hit because their keys are getting revoked. So this is an interesting case of the developer not actually suffering, right? Because they're actually getting money, right? Well, the developer well, does suffer because they don't actually make that sale. They get no oh, money in the end because okay. the money that was legitimately sold, the, ticket, the key that may have been legitimately sold through any of these other bundles, um, is now being charge back so the credit okay. card company that originally did that now get their money back I'm wondering I'm curious to think what um, what you have to say about this Ian and, and Adam what you feel about this sort of situation I know you were having a little bit of a chat about this before we, we jumped on the air 
Uh, I wasn't really aware that these uh, reselling services existed before this broke a couple of days ago. Um, from the perspective of a developer, you know, about to be putting our first game out uh, on PlayStation 4 and uh, considering, you know, the avenues for, for our keys being able to get out there once we also put that game on Steam, uh, it certainly gives us pause uh, as to whether or not being involved in something like the, the Humble Bundle or something like that will actually end up leading to there being a glut of keys of our game out there for this kind of reselling. Uh, simply because of the yeah the ease of people doing this kind of credit card fraud if they've got availability of credit cards to begin with. Um, I certainly understand the, the urge for people to want to be able to uh, sell keys they don't want, uh, sell secondhand games. I think there's a lot of parallels between uh, this and uh, selling games back to EB Games or GameStop or yeah. whatever. Uh, and also a lot of parallels here with um, ticket resellers. So a lot of the things that people get pretty upset with uh, companies like Ticketmaster and things like that about. Um, so I haven't really had much time to digest mm. how I really feel about where I, and how I, where I land on this, but it's complicated to it be is, sure. Yeah, it's so deep. I think that's the issue with it. It's interesting you pull up the whole uh, tickles, ticket sellers thing. And scalping, of course, has obviously been a big problem for people um, purchasing tickets in the past. And, and that's where they actually jack up the price to, you know, the maximum price they possibly can so they can get as much from the demand of people. But it's with this model here, they've kind of pushed the price as low as they can because mm. the, the price is basically the, the, the determining factor. And you're actually also undeveloped. they have a time limit because they have, they have until these credit cards get cancelled, right? That's right, pretty much. I mean, not all of them, of course, you know, as we mentioned, were not all, uh, you know, fraudulently purchased. There are people out there who are legitimately selling their keys. But, you know, there is a situation where maybe they do need to implement something like the ticket system where, you know, some of these big ticket companies who are obviously not the most popular companies in the world, but they have got systems which allow people to resell their, their tickets. And they take a bit of a commission off that and they make sure that the people who are, you know, not scalping these tickets, that they actually have to go through this particular system in order to redo it. Surely there's some kind of like, you know, anti-fraud system uh, or service that they can use through, you know, say with uh, Ubisoft, like because this problem goes back to almost a year ago with the headlines of when Ubisoft revoked all those uh, keys that were purchased through Origin. Mm -hmm. Um, Like surely they need to uh, put something and implement something into their Origin marketplace that can, you know, pick up when bulk purchases are made and, you know, just strange purposes. Well, one of the criticisms they say is that someone like Ubisoft or EA, for example, may have the, you know, the fraud protection um, and all of this stuff, it requires a lot of people and it requires money and it requires time to sort of itemize each individual thing. But if you're a small developer, you know, there is, that's time that's taken out of doing yeah, QA. Yeah, like, that's time taken out of customer support. You know, if you have to dig through every transaction to find out which one. And they said a lot of the ones that they sell, um, Alex from Tiny Build said this as well, was they are there are legit keys in amongst these bad batches. Mm. So there are people who are taking things from a legit source and then refunding. Are these... It's it's interesting that it does does G two A have any stake? Like, do they even care whether this happens or not? Because they're just the facilitator, right? Well, well it's money, really. That's what it yeah. comes down to. They're taking a percentage cut of every sale that goes through, so they want to encourage as many people to sell as much as possible, and you know, not try to do as much to stop stand in the way of that. I mean, that's they, true. some would argue they have a responsibility, and you know, for example, if G two A operated in Australia, they would have Australian consumer law in which to you know pr- provide by. And I guess technically, if you're with 
within Australia and you're purchasing from a site like G2A, you have actually got protections in built, but you know they don't really sort of apply. They do, but they don't. See, that's it. Uh, uh, G2A and then other sites as well. They're not the only ones in this kind of secondary marketplace. Uh, Kingwin are another one. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to take some responsibility for their sellers that are doing the wrong on their sites as well like you know there, there was <laughs> from that article that tiny build kind of put up it felt like G2A were kind of handballing with the responsibility of everything it was like you know it, it's on everybody to kind of smarten up mm. the whole industry because they don't get hurt by the chargebacks do they because it, the chargebacks happen for the original sale of the keys that's right exactly the, the resale they just get to to keep their end and it's the consumer who's had their uh, key revoked along that chain that ends up actually being the one that that fills the brunt of that. The, the middleman kind of misses out on all the punishment, really, and they they kind of have this this issue. I'm wondering how, what are you, how are you thinking about distributing? Um, you know, the released when you bring Party Golf out. Are you thinking about this key model of having it out on Steam? Or I know you're coming to the PlayStation Four as well, but you know, has this given you some thought about what you might do? Uh, it's, it's just given us a thing to be concerned about, not what we would do, and in response to it. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, as I said, I haven't had much time to process this this concept, and it's a very new area for us. So, you know, the idea that we might have to be concerned about being worried about um, fraud at some point um, will be a little bit uh, like we don't have a, the facilities to be able to do that at all. We certainly have no skill in being able to think uh, uh, how we would do that. I still believe in um, the idea that on Steam, especially if developers are charging what they feel to be reasonable prices and the consumers are seeing that as a reasonable price that um, majority or at least enough consumers will choose to um, you know buy something at full price to support the developers because there's very much more of a concept of these people are small these people uh, need all the help that they can get mm-hmm. so so long as you're not charging AAA prices for um, indie great games um, I have a feeling that uh, this doesn't impact as heavily. Uh, that's not to say that this won't become a bigger issue as this becomes a more prevalent practice. But as of right now, it feels like um, so long as you responsibly and reasonably price your games, you should come out all right as the positive way of looking at it. <laughs> it's all very uh, complex and difficult ground to, to sort of break through, I guess. We don't really know where this is all going to land until it all kind of comes out in the wash. So let's jump into our next topic and we'll have a chat to uh, Adam and Ian about their game, Party Golf. Pixel Sift. <laughs> Pixel Sift. No, seriously, Pixel Sift. <laughs> no, seriously. Pixel Sift. Joining us on the line, as you may have heard from the beginning, we have got Adam and Ian from Giant Margarita. They have made a brand new game that is going to be coming out very soon called Party Golf. Guys, could you explain to us a little bit about what the game is and what, what was sort of the inspiration behind making this game? Uh, the inspiration behind making the game was uh, mostly that I was a big fan of a mobile game called Desert Golfing. Have you heard of it? Yeah. No, yep. I haven't. Tell us a little bit about that as well. And why did so, it kind of, uh, you know, light the fire of inspiration in your mind? Well, it's, it's very it's very strange because the game we ended up with isn't that close to desert golfing, although it might physically look like it. But the desert golfing is a side view golf game where you, uh, infinite, you have a hole that you aim for and then you get another 
Uh, as soon as you get it in there, the level scrolls over and you get another hole and you can shoot forever. You can just keep playing this and it's all procedurally generated and it goes on infinitely. Uh, we saw that idea, but at the same time we were playing Towerfall and we thought to ourselves through some process, which is you know very hard to go back to, of what if we took that idea of having this simple 2D golf game and just crammed in as much hectic multiplayer fun as we could. And we ended up with something that immediately was fun uh, as soon as we got those systems working and have just expanded upon that uh, with customization. What's the trick to making a fun party game? What do you need to concentrate on when you want to make something that's nice and easy for people to just who maybe never have played your game before, maybe are over at a friend's house, and what do you do to kind of get them in quickly and get them hooked? What you want is something that is immediately satisfying. So as soon as you do your first gameplay action, you want to uh, get a good feeling to the player out of that. So uh, physics-based games are in a great position to be able to do that because just the very act of hitting a ball, having it bounce around this terrain, uh, possibly actually getting you really close to the hole or even getting a hole-in-one on the first go uh, is a super exciting thing for us to actually watch as players. Uh, so uh, we actually have a little metric that we use when we've shown this game uh, at festivals and at PAX last year, which is the seconds to shouting uh, metric. Uh, so <laughs> from, from the very first moment that people start playing the game to the point that they're actually getting really involved. And for us, that's uh, somewhere between 30 to 60 seconds, which we're really proud of. That's awesome. Is that a metric yeah. you're going to put out there on your on your posters and everything? We've got that sitting there. Um, do you think there's something inherently enjoyable about having sort of a like either a funny or a realistic physics engine? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I think that um, if you if you watch little kids playing around, you know they can play in a sand pit for you know what looks like the rest of their lives, just playing with sand, making things, knocking it down, piling stuff up. Human beings just seem really wired to find those kinds of interactions really, really interesting. And so starting with that as a base means that we can layer all these other fun experiences on top of that very basic, core, uh, enjoyable activity. Is it difficult to not layer too much on top of that when you're building this in? If you have to, like I know there's when you're building these things out, there's you know, a process that you go through and there can be an issue where you can, you know, creep too much into other areas. Do you have like some rule that you try to focus on so you don't add too much? Uh, for party golf in particular, that's really difficult. Uh, it's a, a very good question uh, because we're trying to make the game as customizable as possible. You can change every single part of the game that we can think about giving you access to be able to change things from uh, the balls that you're actually using to play golf with uh, to the way that the terrain is generated. Uh, to the actual rules of the game. So whether or not it's a fast-paced race to the hole, which is our default mode, or whether or not it's the slower-paced uh, turn-based thing that uh, normal golf would have, or just something entirely different, like trying to get into the hole with the smallest number of shots, but take the longest way to get there. So you've got people crazily bouncing all around the screen as much as possible, but still trying to use as few shots as possible. Uh, so for us, uh, the concept of feature creep is something that we talk about all the time, but a a guiding uh, concept for us is that we're not just making an individual thing that doesn't interact with everything else in the game. Every feature we've tried to put in there uh, tends to open up a whole bunch of different other options and different ways to play the game. A lot of our most popular game modes are things that players that have played our game have invented themselves while we've been uh, out there testing and showing this off festivals. People just make stuff up, combine all our things together and we go, why didn't we think of that? That's an awesome idea. So trying to provide uh, to use a, a fancy academic word because I'm a 
not fancy academic, uh, like trying to provide as many orthogonal opportunities as possible for people to combine things together. Would, would you guys be open to, let's say, like have the fans create on the players, create custom game modes and then like maybe creating a leaderboard to see which ones are the best? Uh, we're very open to the idea of that. Uh, it's a difficult thing to do as such a tiny studio that we have to provide the infrastructure. Uh, we're looking at ways that that kind of thing uh, will be possible in our game um, because we understand that once you've made something amazing like that, you want to show other people. Uh, we're certainly providing the facility for you to create your own uh, game modes internally and save them all for future use. When we go back and play games like Towerfall, we've just got a Towerfall only provides a few op- few places to save those, but we play our own custom game modes every single time we play Towerfall. We're trying to provide that kind of feel for people when they play Party Golf. Uh, now, Ian, I'd just like to ask a little bit about uh, Giant Margarita itself. Um, it seems to be made up of entirely PhD candidates, candidates of your your own curation. Uh, it seems like you've created your own kind of incubator down there at the University of Tasmania, huh? Uh, that's definitely what we've tried to go for. Uh, Tasmania is right on the cusp of getting a games industry. We've got people uh, doing a little bit of stuff down here, uh, but we were very... Uh, dispersed. Uh, nobody really knew what anybody else was doing in Tasmania. Uh, and so what we've tried to do is provide a, a beacon of uh, example of an example of how to do that kind of stuff in Tasmania. So we've worked with uh, people that we knew. So yes, uh, me and a bunch of PhD students and a, another lecturer um, to create this game. And we originally made it in a game jam because we really don't have that much time. Uh, so this has all been done outside of our other full-time work. Uh, and uh, through that process, we've also made a little Tasmanian Game Development Society. I say little, we've got a couple of hundred members now, uh, and we're trying to take our experiences going through things like doing a Kickstarter, going to PAX, uh, getting greenlit, uh, and try and teach everybody else how to do those as well. And you guys have just secured the support of Screen Tasmania as well for, some, uh, for your game. Uh, what's been the process of sort of going through that? Uh, this is a very new thing for them uh, as well as uh, for us. Uh, so uh, we're one of the f- uh, first couple of uh, companies that they have um, done any funding for for games. So they've been uh, really, really helpful going through that process because they really want to get into uh, helping the Tasmanian industry. Uh, so it was somewhat of an unwieldy process because it's it's not geared towards uh, game companies. Um, so, you know, lots of stuff about uh, doing stuff for not traditional screen-based media but not games. Uh, so it was a pretty sharp learning curve for us there. I've used that term wrong, but, yeah, very difficult learning curve for us. Uh, and... Uh, but nonetheless, they helped us through every part of that process and really... Uh, just unbelievably helpful getting that up and that's going to really help us actually get party golf out there to people and really help future um, game developers in Tasmania as well because that means that they now have an avenue to go hey my game is interesting would you please give me some money so that I can keep developing it yeah you yeah, we were, oh sorry we were um they actually had a, a strategy planning meeting for their the future of screen Taz recently and we had uh, people from uh, giant margarita there we had a, a local journalist called Jason Imms uh, was there and some people from another company called uh, Secret Lab and a couple of people who came down from Melbourne just to sit in on that uh, as well and so uh, they said they were incredibly happy to have us there and helping them guide their future direction which is great for us and hopefully great for other people 
Well, look, the game's going to be out very soon. You guys are currently working on uh, the PC version and the PlayStation 4 version of the game. If people want to check out a bit more about the game, where should they head to and where should they uh, uh, go to and find some more information? Uh, go to our website for Party Golf, partygolfgame.com. Uh, we'll have gameplay videos on there for you to look at. Uh, there's uh, reviews of the version that we were having at PAX last year as well, and there's uh, a few Let's Play videos out there. The game's come a long way since uh, a lot of that media was created, but you should still be able to get a feel for what the game is, that crazy, fast-paced uh, action, uh, the multiplayer couch co-op. Saying every buzzword I can think of, right? <laughs> Get them all in there. List we them like buzzwords here. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, look, we might jump into our next topic right now. You're listening to Pixelsift, or you might be watching Pixelsift on Twitch. Pixelsift. Now, do you spend a lot of time watching game reveals and trailers, trawling the internet for an extra skerrick of information about your next favourite game? Something that might make you wow in excitement one more time. Warmly. Checking out Let's Plays of Party <laughs> yeah. Golf online. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, but yeah, have you ever considered just not? Not watching the trailers, not watching the gameplay footage over and over again until you feel like you've actually played it through and through? I like how we say this right after plugging yeah. the website yeah. of Party Golf. <laughs> Look, yeah. <laughs> it's about watching, not like overdoing it. Yeah. So our last topic of today, we'll be looking into exactly that. Unplugging from the pre-launch hype media bandwagon in order to increase game enjoyability. Now, at the moment, I, I've been uh, a, a generation behind with my PS3 for a little while. So I've been kind of living vicariously through all these PS4 streamers and whatever with new games. So at the moment, I'm kind of... I'm, I'm all about what I'm talking about, you know, not doing at the moment. And I'm, I don't consider it because, you know, I don't want to fall behind and not, and not see it. But do you ruin the experience by getting involved in that if you play, pick up the game absolutely, now? Absolutely, absolutely. Like, I don't feel like I need to play a lot of games now, which is sad because I know I've kind of ruined a part of what's, what makes, you know, playing a new game so great. So you're a direct result of this. Yeah, and that's why I see so much merit in this because I'm like, wow, I need, really need to, like, you know, Kind of difficult, Stop though, when you make a weekly this. video games podcast to disconnect from games media, though. I know. Slight, <laughs> slight issue. Yeah. Now, Ian, I know this is a topic that's very close to your heart. Um, you said that you've been... Uh, you had a film that you mentioned where you thought that the whole thing was kind of ruined by some of this sort of uh, pre-release PR content. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was a, it was a long time ago where I first noticed this effect because it was uh, Men in Black 1, which is not a particularly uh, fantastic film, but I'd seen... Oh, come on. I'm oh, sorry. I like, know. <laughs> they get worse as time goes by. Though. You don't like, like Tommy Lee Black Jones? Too, too terrible. <laughs> What's that? You don't like Tommy Lee Jones? I do like Tommy <laughs> Lee Jones. <laughs> I, like, I like hearing how grumpy he is and everything he does, apparently. All those weird Japanese uh, ads he's done for whatever... Boss Coffee. For Boss Coffee, yeah. <laughs> um, so... Every single funny moment in that film almost was in the preview. And I'd seen the preview like 10 times just by going to the movies before I saw the film. And so the impact of the film had been hugely decreased for me. Uh, so now I try and avoid, from that point, I tried to avoid all movie advertising. I tend to watch whatever the smallest fraction of a uh, preview was until I was like, that seems interesting to me. And then entirely ignore all other reference to it. And I've started doing the same thing with games. Uh, just recently played Uncharted 4 and had seen not a single bit of the story trailers or anything leading up to that. I saw the uh, what the E3 2015 or I think that's right you know their tech demo which you know it really is a teaser that doesn't actually ruin anything of the game and that's all I watched. Uh, even at the point where I was at GDC this year and I went to 
a, a session on the technical art of Uncharted, and he started it off by showing the like story trailer. And I was like, no, <laughs> I had to like cover my eyes and make make crazy sounds. So I could, could Ian, see what... um, what do you think? Like, let's say a game like Overwatch releases maybe like supplementary content on their YouTube channel, like just those cartoon shorts. Do you think they uh, are the similar? Adam has watched a lot of this, so I'm going to let him field this question. <laughs> uh, the, the shorts are, I think, completely separate in this case because the shorts are basically the only story that you overtly get with Overwatch, at least. Um, Overwatch is a very different beast, in my opinion, with this topic because... So as, as a personal thing, uh, I felt like the first time I put hands to keyboard for Overwatch, I already had like 20 hours of gameplay under my belt at that point because I'd watched so much of it. Um, but I don't feel like that took away from the experience because it made me then be able, uh, I was then able to go, I saw someone do this, now I want to try it. And then you realize how hard it is, um, what the actual um, physicalities of trying to pull off that maneuver is with this hero uh, and trying to work that around your uh, the enemy team going, I saw someone do this to counter this tactic. Maybe I can do that. So I feel like with Overwatch at least, um, all of that added to the game once you get your hands on it. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how much of that people would have found out if there weren't a lot of streamers, a lot of YouTubers who are playing hundreds of hours of these and putting up just the highlights to show you this is what's possible in this game. Uh, who knows? Maybe a lot of people would have stopped playing and, and just written it off as, yeah, it's really good, but, you know, it's kind of shallow. And <laughs> it, it's obviously not. Like, there's a lot of deep mechanics in it. I wonder yeah. with um, a game like Overwatch or I guess probably even something like Party Golf as well where the experience is what you have with everyone else that you're playing the game and people mm -hmm. are making up their own story and this is other oh, stuff is almost... I absolutely agree. In a way, almost sort of supplementary. You could get away with not watching any of the shorts and still have a great time playing something like um, like Overwatch. Um, but a game, for example, as you mentioned, Ian, with Uncharted 4, which is the story is the key part of it yep. and something like uh, Last of Us another Naughty Dog title as well the, the gameplay is such a key part of uh, you know sorry the story is such a key part of that the gameplay is kind of the vehicle in which the story is delivered um, I know that uh, so Ryan uh, Green he's one of the developers from the game That Dragon Cancer uh, actually came out and said that Let's Plays um people who are actually playing through the game on Twitch and, and online uh, actually sort of diminishing the experience yep. of his game but also diminishing the value of his product that he's selling um, because people will then watch the whole Let's Play instead and it should be something more of a personal experience and a bit like watching a film, for example. You wouldn't you know, rely on someone completely just to sort of you know, tell you the film. Mm. Uh, you'd want to go and experience in person. So That, that Dragon Cancer is primarily a narrative. Mm. instead of like I mean yeah see there's certain games that just don't work with that kind of thing because you reveal too much uh, you know you reveal to the point where you've lost the point of the game really but like you know trailers are more exp uh, more popular than ever like with all the trailers you're talking like you know Gears of War Battlefield Uncharted 4 Destiny they all like this is just YouTube as well that plays are up in the like, 9 millions for all of those at least Battlefield 1 the reveal trailer uh, the reveal um one for that was actually over 41 million views which is ridiculous mm. the, 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 the hunger for this kind of um, you know pre-launch hype media yeah. is high one of the interesting things that I think people probably and it's probably difficult for us as well because obviously we take
take a lot of this on board and we look at this very regularly every day. But the vast majority of customers for these large products launches are not people who are actually going to be looking at every gaming website every time that comes out. They might glance at it and they might see it pop up on their Facebook feed, but they're not people out there going and watching. So, for example, you said 41 million views. That, for Battlefield 1, that was not the trailer, but the actual reveal. Yeah. yeah 41 million. Over. Right. So probably those are quite a few of duplicates, people watching them again. But their sales are going to be more than that if, if anything of the other games are to go by. They're selling, you know, millions and millions of copies on top of that. Um, and, you know, is it difficult to see, I guess, the forest for the trees and that we are kind of in it so we can't see that the vast majority of people maybe aren't doing this particular thing and they can come in fresh. And mm. I mean, I wouldn't be too concerned until it actually starts affecting the way games are made because, and the only the only thing I've seen of this was in 2013 when uh, Nintendo announced that they were not going to put a story mode or cutscenes into the new Super Smash Brothers because, and their rationale for that was that as soon as we do that, people are just going to play it, upload it online and the value of the work we put into these cutscenes in story mode is just going to be diminished. Yeah. And so they just didn't do it. And storyline used to be a reward, like, and there used yes. to be sort of branching storylines as a reward for doing the best endings of particular games. And yeah, cutscenes cut right. were a reward. Yeah. And now that has to be removed as a, as a gameplay mechanic because, you know, people are just going to go on YouTube and watch what the best ending is without, without doing it, and it sort of diminishes the value of, of I guess, the expression of, of doing it as well. Not so. to bring up another Blizzard game, but I believe some versions of StarCraft come with a Blu-ray or DVD of the cutscenes on it that you can just watch. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, they do have phenomenal... Yeah. phenomenal um, and they're, they're awesome, but uh, yeah. that's a thing that it's not necessarily a reward anymore, but I, I, I guess that's a pretty cool way of... Hmm. Have games started using that um, PlayStation 4 feature where they don't um, don't let the recording of those things happen? Yeah. So yes. By default. Oh. So to, to try and keep the value of those things. I, I normally find that quite annoying when that happens in games because it pops up a little toast saying recording is turned off here and it distracts you from the cutscene. Yeah. But I wonder if, if that's a thing that uh, games like Super Smash Brothers could use. Definitely something very, uh, very interesting to think about. Um, there's plenty of more examples of this sort of stuff, and it's one of these things where it's totally in the the eye of the beholder. Really, you're going to yeah. kind of take away what from what you want. I'm personally of someone who, you know, as you said, Ian, avoiding trailers. I, I only watch movie trailers at the movies. I don't go on online to watch them because I feel like by the end of the hype cycle, um, you've known everything you possibly can out of a particular film. So. I see the merit in this. So I'm going to try and change my ways. But yeah, <laughs> I will watch every trailer for everything ever. <laughs> Can I say something real quick here? Sure, yeah, sure, go for it. Uh, it's very important to remember who the hype train is for. The hype train is for the developers to get more people on. If you've already decided that you want to play this game or watch this movie, you gain almost nothing by watching those trailers at that point. That is spot on. Very yeah. well put, very well. And with that... So go, go watch the Party Golf ones because yeah. you haven't decided if you want the game yet. Well, I've already decided that I want it. So. We're gonna jump hey! <laughs> there we go. Uh, Ian and Adam, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Pixel. Sift. It's been great to hear from you and, and hear uh, uh, your thoughts on all these topics. It's been great being here. Thanks for letting us uh, have this opportunity to talk about all these things that drive us crazy. <laughs> it's a great way to spend an afternoon, I have to say. Yeah, great. Um, that's all we've got time for today. So if you want to watch this episode again, uh, you can head to our website, which is www.pixelsift.com.au, where we'll have the audio version if you want to listen to it in the car, or we'll have the video version going up a bit later as well. There's a little trailer coming out for the next episode. That's right, yeah. No. Don't watch all the trailers of the <laughs> next video. We do put one every week. I guess we do. Unless we? we haven't convinced you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Scott. 
Scott, if people want to find us on social media, where should they head to? People, you can find us at facebook.com forward slash pixel sift, twitter.com forward slash pixel sift, twitch.tv forward slash pixel sift, and youtube.com forward slash pixel sift au. And Mitch, our older episodes Website, are- iTunes, Pocket Cast. Google Play. And Google Play if you're in America. You can't view it here in Australia for some reason. Yeah, email me about that, Google. <laughs> Stitcher, tune in, everything you can get audio on. That's where we are. Uh, thanks for joining us. We will see you guys again this time next week. Bye. Thank you. Peace out. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.